So the reading today is taken from Genesis 29, which is page 31 in the Church Bibles or 41 in the large print. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away (coughs) from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father... As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but this seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father God, we praise you that you are the God of love, the source of all love. And we do pray this morning as we look at your word together that we would see with our eyes more of that love, we would understand it, that you would open our hearts to receive that love and that you would so change us from within that you would make us more into the loving people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I think if you were to ask most people, what is the one thing that they would want more than anything else? I guess most people would be to love and to be loved. And that can express itself in different sorts of relationship uh, between a husband and a wife, uh, between a parent and a child, between two friends. And the reason that uh, love is so important to us uh, is that we've been made in the image of a, a relational God. Uh, we are relational beings. We will have different personalities, um, some who find social interaction more easy than others, um, find others more energizing uh, by spending time with them, some who like their own company. But deep down, we all crave, we all need love. Love can bring so much joy, but it can also bring much heartache because we live in a fallen world, And that has affected our ability to love. I'm sure we will all have experienced at some stage the pain of a strained or a broken relationship, whether it was a a teenage infatuation many years ago, or whether it was a marriage of, of many years. Some of you may be struggling in a difficult relationship right now, or still hurting from a broken relationship. I'm grateful to God for a lovely wife and uh, for 25 years of happy marriage. Um, But our marriage is not perfect because, believe it or not, I'm not perfect. And dare I say it, neither is Liz. But if our marriages are going to not just stay together but to thrive and grow and flourish, then the first place we have to look is not at our other half and see what we need to change in them. But what needs to change in us, in our selfish and proud hearts. There is no such thing as a perfect human relationship. 
but we can still know perfect love because God's love for us is perfect. And we can grow in our ability to to love like God. In the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that we looked at um, a few Sunday evenings ago, we, we saw what perfect love looks like. And it's really attractive, isn't it? Uh, those words are quite familiar. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And to become more like that, we need to, to learn. And that learning process is a lifelong process, and it can be, be painful. Well, this morning as we look at our, our sermon series in Genesis um, and the character of Jacob, uh, we see that he has a lot to learn about relationships. And he has to learn the hard way uh, as he finds himself this time on the receiving end of deceit. Let's have a brief recap on where we've got to in case you haven't been with us in the last uh, couple of weeks. When Rebecca eventually becomes pregnant after 20 years of, uh, of she and Isaac are praying for a child, God tells her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. And we saw how the book of Romans explains why God chose Jacob over his older brother Esau in his plan of salvation to emphasize God's sovereignty, God's mercy, and not our human effort. Well, despite God making his plans clear to to them, the family become a bit of a mess. Uh, Esau gives up his birthright for a bowl of stew. Isaac intended to give his blessing to Esau despite what God had said. Rebecca conspired with Jacob to deceive Isaac and cheat Esau out of his blessing. Esau realizes he's been deprived of what he thinks is rightfully his, and he vows to take revenge on Jacob and kill him. And when Rebecca finds out, she comes up with an excuse to, to send Jacob away for his own safety. The excuse being to go to their, their home in Haran and find a wife for himself there. She's hoping the brotherly feud will blow over, um, maybe in a few months, little realizing that she would never see her son Jacob again. Well, Jacob sets off and uh, finds himself alone in the middle of nowhere. And last week we saw how in that state of physical and spiritual darkness, God in his mercy comes to Jacob in a dream. He promises the same promise that he gave Isaac and Abraham before him, that through his offspring all nations on earth would be blessed. And God promises to be with him and to protect him. He shows him the stairway to heaven in that amazing dream with angels descending and ascending, pointing ultimately to the way to God through Jesus Christ. God has opened up a way to be with him. And as Jacob awakes, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God has made himself known to Jacob. And Jacob is left to it, told afraid and in awe of God. And he feels compelled to follow him and obey him. Well, we pick up the story today in chapter 29, and Jacob comes back down to earth with a bit of a bump, doesn't he? He continues his journey to, to Haran, which uh, 
As we saw last week, is here on the map, 500 miles away from his home, up in the north northeast. But we're told uh, not much about the journey until he arrives there in verse 2. If you've got your Bibles open, 29 verse 2, we're told there, Jacob saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone of the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Well, Jacob arrives, he uh, enters into conversation with the local shepherds, um, asking them where, where they're from, and if they know his uncle Laban, um, Rebecca's brother. Yes, we know him, they answer, and he's well. And, uh, and look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Jacob then gives them some advice, which um, comes across as a little bit patronizing. Look, he said, uh, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. In other words, what do you do hanging around here? Well, you can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered. The stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Not clear how much of this is a, a cultural thing, maybe a different way of doing things. Or is it them just being lazy? Um, but Rachel arrives on the scene, and now Jacob's attention is elsewhere. He's, more, he's got more interesting things to think about. And maybe he tries to impress her by doing it on his own, moving the stone. But we're told here, when Jacob, in verse 10, saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over, rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel as a greeting and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him, he embraced him, he kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. Echoes of what happened many years previously when Abraham's servant went to, to Haran to find a wife for his son Isaac. And it was actually then Rebecca's brother Laban who, and, his mo- and her mother who come out to welcome the servant and to accept the offer. Well, it's got off to a great start, hasn't it? Couldn't have gone better. But the first lesson that Jacob is about to learn is that love is patient. Love is patient. Jacob's clearly very much in love with Rachel. Um, he's not brought anything with him. As we looked at last uh, week, he's almost left the home in disgrace, not like his Abraham's servant um, many years ago who took lots of uh, wealth um, to buy Rebecca and bring her back for Isaac. This time, Jacob's gone with nothing. He's penniless. Um, but Laban approves of him as his future son-in-law. But Laban is a little bit scheming. He sees probably an opportunity here. He's an opportunist. And so we're told in verse 14 that after Laban had stayed with him for a whole month, he said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. And we're told there, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. 
Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Not a great endorsement, um, but um, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. Jacob was so much in love with Rachel, he was willing to wait. He was willing to, to work for his bride. And the, the length of time had been agreed. It was seven years, but the seven years flew past. Uh, they seemed only like a few days because he was so much in love. And when the seven years were up, Laban was in no hurry to fulfill his side of the deal. And it's Jacob who has to remind him of it. Um, so he goes to Laban. And he says, give me my wife. My time is completed. And I want to make love to her. So Laban organizes the the wedding uh, service, the reception, invites all the guests. But then he does something very deceitful, doesn't he? Have a look at verse 23. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Now, as you might expect, Jacob is pretty furious. Um, What is this you've done to me, he says. I served you for Rachel. Why have you deceived me? That's pretty rich, isn't it, coming from the one who deceived his father and his brother. Um, A sad irony in the deceiver becoming the one deceived. And Jacob doesn't like it when the boot is on the other foot. Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the elder one. Might not have been, but funny, he didn't mention that seven years ago. Um, But Laban has another agenda here, and so he makes Jacob a a proposal. He says, finish this daughter's bride a week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. Now, the sad thing about this whole episode is that Laban is not trying to do the best for anyone else but himself. He's the one who's going to get the benefit of another seven years of labor. All he cares about is that free labor, um, more wealth, more prosperity. He doesn't have the interests of Jacob or his daughters at heart. Imagine how Rachel is going to feel towards her father as a result. How that relationship will never be the same. We don't know how much Leah was a willing participant in the scheme, whether she wanted Jacob for herself, whether she thought this was maybe her only chance of getting married, or whether her father just gave her no option. But in time, she too will see that it was actually not in her interest as she ends up with a husband who doesn't love her. Well, how does Jacob respond? Now, he could have responded with anger at the injustice of it all, but instead, probably because he he knows that In a week, his beloved Rachel will be his wife. He agrees to it. And so we're told in verse 28, he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. And that little throwaway line there, his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. We're given an inkling of the strife and the jealousy 
that will characterize this new home. Unsurprisingly, when God's law is given to, to Israel, many years later it was prohibited for a man to marry two sisters. But how do we respond when we face those situations of injustice? Maybe when things are delayed unfairly. Or maybe it would help to remember that God is sovereign and he's allowed this to happen for a reason. We may not know what that reason is. But we do trust that he's still in control of everything. Now in Jacob's case, maybe God is punishing for, for him for his own deceit. Maybe he's teaching him something about patience, which she still needs to learn. As followers of Jesus, we, we all need to learn patience, don't we? We're all taught to be patient is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason we're called to be patient is because God is patient with us. So what it says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The story of the Bible is the story of God's patience with his people who constantly let him down, who constantly go and do their own thing, who constantly think they know best. And yet God keeps forgiving time after time. He waits patiently for them to to come to repentance, however slow they may be. So if that's you, maybe you have strayed away and... um, you're feeling maybe this morning a little bit, a little bit of a hopeless case. How can God possibly be patient with you yet again? But don't despair. God is patient with you. His patience never runs out. It is inexhaustible. And the other good thing is that God doesn't just love, um, isn't just patient. He also loves the unlovely. He loves those who are not loved. In God's plan of salvation, the heir who will bring salvation to all nations will come through Rachel. But that doesn't mean God has no compassion on Leah. Look what it says in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Leah just wants to be loved. Um, but her father has committed her to a man who does not love her. Or at least does not love her as much as her sister. And so she thinks, well, if I can bear him a son, maybe, maybe then he will love me. We're told, verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, which means one who hears. And she has two more sons, Levi and Judah. She's grateful to God that he's enabled her to bear four sons. Surely that is enough to make Jacob love her. She's desperate to to be loved, and it's tragic to read. We all want to be loved, don't we? But we will not necessarily find the love we want from another human being in this life. And we do need, therefore, to be careful that we don't take things into our own hands. That we don't go against God's instructions in his word that are for our good. 
And there are different ways in which we can do that. It, it tells us in his word that if we are a Christian, we should not marry someone who's not a Christian. If we are in an unhappy marriage, we should not be unfaithful and commit adultery. If we are attracted to someone of the same sex, we should not enter into a sexual relationship with them. What God has given all of us is the privilege of belonging to a church family where hopefully we can find loving relationships. But better than that, because that won't be perfect, um, he's given us the privilege of enjoying his perfect love. How do we know God's love? What was the Lighthouse Memory verse um, we heard last week? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's love is a sacrificial love. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven. He came down to earth. He took the punishment that we deserve. He stood in our place that we might know forgiveness and freedom and life. This episode teaches us that love is patient, that God loves the unloved. But it also teaches us something else about God's sovereignty. And that is that children are a gift from God. The way in which God shows that he loves Leah is by giving her the gift of children. As she bears four children, and in naming them, acknowledges God's part in that. But whilst Leah is experiencing the misery of being unloved, but the blessing of children, Rachel experiences the opposite. She's loved by her husband, but she's not able to conceive, and she's desperate for children. And now we're not told how much of that is because she, she feels she needs children if she's going to keep the love of her husband. Uh, how much of it is because of the social shame of not being able to conceive? Or how much because she just wants to show love to children, because she loves children? But she doesn't show a very godly attitude in the way she responds to her situation and her disappointment. As we go into chapter 30, have a look um, in verse 1. We're told when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And here the first cracks appear in the marriage um, as Jacob, we're told, became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Jacob's lost his patience, uh, could have been a bit more sensitive in dealing with his wife and, and pastorally caring. But at the end of the day, he's right. You know, God is the one who grants the blessing of children. Again, this is a difficult pastoral situation because there may be some of you here today who struggled with this, who, who are still struggling with it. And a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about God's sovereignty, we said that God wants us to trust him. He wants us to obey him in all things. And not be tempted to, to take things into our own hands. But what does Rachel do? Well, she does just that, doesn't she? Have a look at verse 3. Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him a servant, Bilhah, as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. 
And just like Sarah before her, who got impatient, waiting for a son, um, and gave Abraham, her servant, Hagar to sleep with, who bore Ishmael. Rachel's made the same mistake. She's been impatient with God and has not trusted in his promise to her. And she even claims that God has vindicated her. Look, she said, verse 6, Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Take things into our own hands. And when we get the outcome we, we want, we claim that God must have been in that. And maybe he was just gracious to us in our disobedience. If you think things can't uh, get worse, Leah decides to do the same and give her servant girl to Jacob who bears two more sons. And then in a desperation for her own child, Rachel asks her sister for the mandrake plants, which uh, uh, Reuben's brought back from the fields, uh, thinking that might increase her fertility. Leah sees an opportunity and says, well, you can have them if I can sleep with Jacob. So Jacob comes in from the fields and Leah says to him, you must sleep with me. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. It's tragic, isn't it? And yet God doesn't give up on Rachel. He doesn't give up on her. Look at verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. It's not that he ever forgot her, but the time has come for him to fulfill his promise to her and to be gracious to her. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son, which he later did. Now you may feel that God has deserted you because he's not given you what you think you most need. But what you most need is not his gifts. What you most need, what all of us most need, is God himself. Yes, a husband or a wife is a great blessing. Yes, children are a great blessing. But we should not desire them more than we desire God. Last week we looked at the stairway to heaven. Um, There will be no marriage in heaven. In heaven, the great blessing is not all the things that we will enjoy there. The great blessing of heaven is God himself, who we will see face to face. We'll be in an intimate relationship with him. He is, he is the greatest blessing that we can imagine. So let's remember as we go to the, the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the greatest way in which God showed his love for us. In the death and the resurrection of his son. Is that what made it possible for us to know God? To love him? And to know his love for us. That one day we will go to be with him. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. That we might live through him. Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on that. As we prepare to to take the Lord's Supper. And then we'll sing of that love. Here is love vast as the ocean. Before we come to the Lord's Supper.